Without question, Jeff Cameron is one of New England's most accomplished soccer players of all time. His 168 matches in the Premier League, 55 caps with the U.S. men's national team, and MLS Best 11 selection speaks to exactly that. With that background, we're really excited to bring you this special episode of the New England Soccer Journal podcast. Jeff, who's from Attleboro, Mass., is playing for Queens Park Rangers in England's second division and nearing their season's return during the COVID-19 pandemic. We caught up with him from London for an in-depth conversation where we talked everything from his advice to younger players, path through the youth soccer ranks in New England, and keys to longevity as a midfielder slash defender who's turning 35 this summer. And for those who don't know Jeff's story, it's one of growing up locally before going on to college soccer at West Virginia and URI, turning pro with the Houston Dynamo and MLS, and moving overseas in 2012 to play for Stoke City in the Premier League. The rest, as they say, is history. Before getting into our interview with Jeff, be sure to check us out online at anysoccerjournal.com, where you'll find daily content on the New England soccer scene. Right now, you can get an all-access plan, which includes unlimited access to our daily website, plus every issue of our print magazine delivered straight to your home, office, or dorm for only $74.99. It's simple. Just log on to anysoccerjournal.com and click on the subscribe button to find the subscription that's right for you. Now, let's get into it with Jeff Cameron, who has twice appeared on the cover of New England Soccer Journal, the magazine. Hey, everybody. We are here with Jeff Cameron, guy who, of course, needs very little introduction from Attleboro. Been overseas in England now for nine years or so. Went to URI, played at Bayside, Providence Country Day. Thanks for coming on, Jeff. We really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, my pleasure. To start off would be, it's a weird period for a footballer at the moment. Everyone's slowly trying to get back to, to soccer as normal. COVID has really put a pause on things and it's a lot of uncertainty. Take us into kind of what that's been like for you as, as a veteran who's experienced all different types of things and just kind of your perspective as it's gone on pause. Yeah, I think this is the the longest downtime I've had in my professional career where, you know, I think we've, we're almost 10 weeks now, eight to 10 weeks or so since not playing, you know, since our, our last game. And it, yeah, it's it's been difficult. It's, you know, it's because we're, we're so used to, we're like robots, you know, we wake up, we have the same routine every single day. And even in the off season, you have some type of program that you're doing. Um, and, and obviously being in isolation and lockdown, that, that's kind of had its, it's hindered you a bit and you're not, you're not able to, if you have a gym at your house, it's great because you can take advantage of that. But if you don't have the access to go and, you know, use gym equipment and stuff like that, it's usually just body weight and going for runs. So, uh, fortunate enough, I had some equipment here and I was able to do some things and go on my runs and follow the program as the best I could. But at the same time, it's you're trying to stay mentally focused and like hoping that things will progress and and that there's a end date. There's a like a, there's a date that you're shooting for, and that's the most that's been the most difficult thing as as footballers because we have in our mind we're like okay, this is preseason. We're ready for this time, um, where it's like when we were told that Friday the day before our game got canceled, like okay, it could be a couple weeks. The game is canceled who knows how long it's going to be. And then it turns into two weeks to four weeks, four weeks to eight weeks. And now fortunate enough, we're, we're back into to training now and we're starting contact this week. So, and, and, you know, hopefully they're, they're looking to, to start games by mid June. There seems to be a lot more hope though, that kind of like, Hey, this, this is yeah, progressing back to some normalcy. 
you know, obviously the biggest thing is we're not going to be playing in front of fans, but uh, the championship is going to be following the Premier League uh, hand in hand, um, which is good. I actually got off a phone call today. It was about two hours long with, because uh, I'm one of the representatives for the team that to go through the PFA and the PFA obviously goes to the EFL and, and whatnot. But we had all the teams on the, on the call today, just discussing of what the next process, like the next steps are for contact and going from phase two to phase three and then phase three and, and onwards. So there is, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I think, you know, to be, to be honest, everyone on the call today was like, we want to get back on the pitch. We want to play. And we had medical people. We had people that are working in the government and just basically telling us what the data is saying and that we're unlikely to get sick if we do get sick because our immune systems and everything like the way that we are in contact as a team that we have less of a chance because we're being outside uh we're in the sun we only in in a game there's six minutes of actual contact the times where we have set pieces corner kicks stuff like that so other than that like you need more time to be exposed by the virus and there has been some hurt you know some bumps in the road but the clubs have have dealt with it and and we're getting on with it. And I think that's what, you know, obviously safety first, but I think everybody's kind of wants to get back to some type of normalcy there. As you are in your ninth season playing in England, a guy in his mid thirties, what do you think has been most key to that longevity factor? What is it that kind of keeps on pushing you and driving you to, to be able to earn that level of respect from managers, players, et cetera? It's crazy, man. Like, I've had I've had a lot of coaches throughout my career that has has valued me as as a player as a person. They've seen what I had to offer, and then you know you have some some coaches that you deal with that uh, maybe they don't like you personally, they don't like you the playing style. But everyone has coaches. Everyone has their players and their guys. And if you're not their guy, okay, don't worry. Like there's another path for you. Um, and growing up, I was always that guy. You know, out of Attleboro, Mass. You know, no one really knew this short little kid, and didn't really. I, I didn't go to a big ACC school or top ten school. I went to West Virginia University, who's in the Big East, and then, and it like finished up at University of Rhode Island. And you've, I've always had that drive in me because you know, growing up in an area where it's you know football, hockey, where soccer is not like the big main sport. And you have people that would challenge you and say, you know, you're not going to make it, this and that, and you're wasting your time. And it, it's kind of just driven me in a way. And I've never been that player to be the the most, you know, I'm not the starlet. I'm not the guy that's scoring goals and like the best player on the East Coast, you know. And a perfect example, you have Nick Cataluca, who was out of Providence. And, you know, he was on the youth national team and this and that. And then, you know, he went top five, I think, right, in the MLS draft. You know, my first year at Houston, I had more minutes than he had in three years at Colorado. You know, I, I, I came, I wasn't the big name that he was. So for me, it's kind of just, I just have that mental, I don't know, I just want to keep playing. I want to keep playing as long as I can and, and play at a high level. I don't want to um, be satisfied letting myself go and I think for me to have a long career you got to take care of your body you got to eat right you got to do all those things and my goal was you know when I first got drafted in the MLS I said woulda coulda shoulda and I always wanted to challenge myself 
of playing at the highest level. And if I didn't make that jump across the pond, I didn't want to question in my career, question my path. Like, was I good enough to play in England? Was I good enough to play against the best competition in the world? Like, I wanted to see where I was as a player. And, you know, fortunate enough that whether people don't, whether people don't rate me as a player or they like me as a person, I really don't give a shit. It's my, my play speaks for itself. And, you know, like I wouldn't be having as many games as I had in the Premier League or as many appearances with the national team if I wasn't a good player or basically being at the level that I played at. You know, unfortunately, we got relegated at Stoke. Our team at, at Stoke was, if you look at the roster, we had a very, very good roster. We just went through a, a, a pretty poor time, played with some top players. But you have these bumps in the road and, um, you know, fortunate enough, I'm in, the, I'm in the championship, still playing at a high level. And yeah, it's, I think that's just the mentality that I've had. I've, I've always wanted to work and I wanted to play. And obviously, I have a son now and it's almost given me a new sense of drive of I want to see him watch me play when he grows and you know like if I can play another four or five years that's great you know and and uh so he gets to see me and obviously for me to provide for him so it's another sense of to help me push on and continue and for longevity yeah as you mentioned being a kid growing up in Attleboro we both know the dynamics of New England sports and kind of what that usually leaned towards I think soccer has definitely grown since you were coming through but it's still has its place in that pecking order a little bit. Can you take me back to those those days when you're a 13, 14 year old kid and, and you're starting to become really serious about this soccer thing? Were there people who were telling you like, hey, don't do this, don't do this? What was that like? I, I mean, I remember I, fifth and sixth grade, I actually had two teachers tell me that it was a waste of time. And I'll never forget it. I, I still remember their names. I'm not going to tell their, not, not going <laughs> to reveal their, their names, but. I was at Wamsetta school and I was leaving. I had to get a permission uh, to leave school on a Friday. I wasn't going to school on Friday because I had a soccer tournament. I had to get it signed by the teacher or whatever. And I had like, you know, my parents read a note or whatever and they called in the school. So I got it okayed by the principal and everything, but I just had to get the letter signed by the teacher. And I just remember the teacher saying like, both of them, they're like, Why, where are you going for a soccer tournament? Like soccer is a waste of time. Like, you're not going to go. Like, and I just remember it clear as day. And I was just like, what? That's kind of always stuck with me because it's helped fuel that fire. Like, what gave them the right to tell a kid that age that, like, you know, soccer is nothing? And, and obviously, you know, at that time, soccer wasn't a big sport. And, you know, the people said it was a girly sport. And, you know, like, uh, you got to play hockey. You got to play basketball. You got to play football. I remember when I first signed my contract. When I got drafted, I drove like, you know, obviously celebrated my family or whatever. And then like, I think the next day, because obviously I was home from college, I w- was passing by Wamsutta and I stopped in and I, and I knew the gym teacher really, really well. And he was like kind of a soccer coach of mine. So I went to say hi to him and the, those two teachers were there and I just said, thank you. And they kind of were like, I was like, I remember the day where you guys told me that basically soccer is a waste of time and this and that and yeah it, it was you know you ha- and you have coaches people said I was too small I made the regional team when we did ODP Massachusetts ODP 
going from ODP, like state team to, to regional team and made the regional team. And I remember telling, being told that I was too small in mass wasn't, we didn't have the connections. We didn't have the representatives to go to the, the regional team. And that's where the politics come in. And it's just like, there's so much more to it. And you, you learn as you get older that there's a lot of kind of stuff that uh, shouldn't be involved with the, uh, you know, youth soccer in the States, but, it's apparent and, and obviously it's not going to go away. It was a difficult time because the, the, the road was a lot harder. Now it's, if you look at it now, they have these academy systems and it's almost like there's much more of an opportunity for these young kids now because they're put in these systems that it's actually helps them. It's more of a clear pathway to get to the, the professional ranks where for my, my journey was, you know, I play for a club team, high school team, club team, and then hopefully you go to a tournament, college coach seizes you, you get a scholarship. If not, you still go to a college, try to play. If you get scouted to go to an MLS draft or the combine down there, then you know, you're know you fortunate enough. And Or if, if you don't get selected, then you go for these trials and tryouts. So it's, it was, it's not clear as it is now. So I think these kids now have a really opportunity and, and – you know, they have to stay focused. And at the same time, I also I think it kind of hinders them a little bit because they're kind of given things instead of like grinding for it, you know, like because everything, they have the system to, they don't have anybody telling them you're not going to make it or stopping you and kind of like making you a little bit more tough and rough around the edges, I guess I would say. How so? I mean, what, what does that look like in terms of a U16 player where my understanding is the amount of clubs that were available were, were far fewer. And how are you having to fight for, for those opportunities compared to now the plethora of ones that are out there? Because the thing is, there was, there was probably only Bayside. Then there was the Boston Eagles at the time, where it was Boston Eagles it, or became Bolts, Boston Eagles. I think it's now Bolts again. But there was no academy system. It was literally like you play for your, you know, Attleboro Youth Soccer, Bays, and then you go from there. And like, if you were good enough, you would be selected to go to a club team. And now the club teams are, you have to pay money for these clubs. And it's a lot of money that my parents have to like, you know, they work their butt off for to provide for me to go to these tournaments and this and that. And sometimes, you know, you're driving a couple hours for, for training because it was the best team. You know, and there was, there's only two or three teams that would be able to go to the state cup, but now it's like, they just have these systems, the academy systems. And they're, if you're a good player, boom, you're automatically selected and you're going to the academy, you know? And, and that's where there's like a, an understanding of recruiting where back then it wasn't some, some parents couldn't get them. Uh, they couldn't pay for this team. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to play. They'd just play for their town team. So there was a lot of things. And I think more overall, like I'm noticing a generation change of, you know, their attitudes and how these, how you have to uh, speak to kids now. And, you know, we have about five or six players in our dressing room now that are older guys. And then we have a lot of guys that are 18, 19, 21, 22 year old kids that are, are still learning. They're just finding their kind of, first couple of years as a pro and their mentality is different where, you know, my first year in Houston, I wasn't allowed to, I didn't say anything to anybody. 
you know, like I'm playing with my first year, Br- Brad Davis, Brian Ching, Richard uh, Mulrooney, uh, Brian Mullen, Craig Weibel, Dwayne DiRosario, Pat Onstad. And all those guys have represented the national team. They've, they're like top pros. And that's my first team that I, and you know, for me, it, it's kind of lucked out because that was my first experience as, as a, in a professional team in a, in a professional environment. And I saw how they handled themselves professionally on and off the field and how they were, you know, they challenged me. I didn't say boo to them. If they laid it, laid me out in training and a tackle or whatever, like I didn't say anything. I just got up and played. Now the, the attitude is a little different. If a guy gets stuck in, like the guy gets up and like want to have a go. It's not that way anymore. You know, my first couple of years at Stoke, you get some of the younger guys that come in and their first training session, one of the older guys would just smash them. And it would be a test to see how the younger guy adjusted and dealt with being in this first team environment. And you could always tell within the first five minutes if the player is going to sink or swim just by the way their attitude, how they hold, held themselves, um, how they got on with the guys, it, they come over too cocky, um, too arrogant, whatever, you know. And, and if that, that was kind of like a, a little light that went off on some of the guys, some of the, like, who is this kid coming over and like first tackle, the guy puts him back down at peg. And I think it's those type of things. And um, it's not like bullying or anything like that. It's just, it's just the way it is. It's, you know, everyone else had to work to get to where they are. And you experience this and it's just the way the, the professional path has been. And you learn from the older players. You learn how they handle themselves. They, you learn how they, they take care of themselves and, you know, seeing Brian Ching on the table getting treatment and seeing his knee swell up and how he'd be on the table three or four hours a day just trying to get the swelling out so he could play a game on a Saturday and then we'd have a game on a Wednesday. And he's a target for it. And he would just get beating after beating after beating. And he'd still be able to, to play. And he'd put goals in the back of the net. And you look at that and then you have some of the other guys that would complain or, you know, fall around and, they didn't, they didn't go through the stuff that Brian is going through. And you, I'm like, this guy's twice your age, you know? And, and that's where the things come in. And I think that mental strength, that mental toughness now is, is huge. And I think it, those are the guys you look at, Christian Pulisic, who is a good friend of mine and with the national team. And you see how he's come in. You know, when I was first there, when he was breaking on the scene with Jurgen. And he kind of came in and he was a quiet kid and he just kind of soaked everything up. And we all saw his potential. The guy was a suit, like his skill was, was on another level. And he's playing Champions League over in, in Germany at Dortmund. And he's coming in to, to our team where some, myself, I haven't played in Champions League or, but I played in, you know, I'm playing against Premier League uh, teams every single week. You have some of the guys that are playing MLS games only and he's playing against these guys and, you know, world-class players. And he's not even playing. And his development is completely different. His mentality is completely different from some of the younger guys that are on the team. Um, and, it, and it's just the way the environment, the way he was brought up and the way he was trained and the way he was, you know, focused to basically perfect his, his, his job, his, his profession. And I think that's such a key thing for these young kids now is 
you know, stay focused. And no matter how many things, like you have all the basically sports science, the nutrition, the everything. We didn't have that until halfway through my career, really. I mean, if you think about it, in the last 10 years, things have started progressing quickly with teams getting sports scientists, nutrition, all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, for me, that's helped my longevity. And I think I want to make sure that I do everything right to extend my career as long as I can to play at a high level. But these kids need to really understand like they have such an opportunity in front of them that they should take full advantage of it, you know? Yeah. And as much as that mental framework and such emerges through your playing career, I'm sure there were people along the way who helped instill that, whether that's coaches, mentors, et cetera. Yeah. I would say my biggest one is my father. He's my best friend. He's, I would say my parents in general, but specifically, you know, my, my father, they made a lot of sacrifices and, but my dad is, he was hard on me. He made me cry when I was younger. My dad had to do side jobs on the weekend so he could pay for things. And, you know, I wanted to go off with, to my friend's house or whatever. And, you know, he'd say like, I'm, I'm doing a side job so I can pay for your soccer. You know, you need to go in the backyard and you need to practice. And, you know, and he'd go to a game and, and if I was not playing great or not putting the effort in, he'd let me know and say, Hey, listen, you know, I'm doing side jobs. I'm, I'm putting the effort in so I can give you the opportunities so you can play. But if you're going to play like this and you're not going to put the effort in, then I'm not going to put the effort in and you don't have to play. So he pushed me in that. He challenged me. I looked up to him. I, I still look up to him. He's, he's been the biggest influence of my life and my career and, and everything. I call him before every single game, every single professional game I've I've, I've called him. We have a talk before and we have a talk after. He's my biggest critic. He pushes me on and off the field, but he's a role model for me. And, uh, and then I'd say like, you know, I've had a lot of coaches along the way. My town coaches, you know, Peter Pereira to Stacy DeCastro. And obviously, you know, Stacy, you know, Stacy DeCastro is a very good, I haven't worked with him in a lot of many years, but I would say he was really good with technical stuff. He's really, really big on technical skills. And I remember going down to Jefferson Boulevard, you know, like seeing Ryan Maduro there, Nick Cataluca. We had, we had the Stompers, we had the Stampede, and we had the Strikers. Those are the three teams. And those are the teams that, like, we were really, really good. And I played with a lot of players, you know, Kyle Texera. Um, works at the Revs and then you know going to college Gareth Elliott down at uh, University of Rhode Island he's a good friend of mine he helped push me Um, and then obviously the biggest one of the biggest ones is Dominic Kinnear who I have a very very close relationship with still to this day he was my first professional coach yeah he he gave me the opportunity you know basically I ran with it but He's been a he's been a big influence and in a, in a positive influence in my career and and he and the thing is he you always want to play for a manager that that cares about you as a person that you would run through a brick wall for you know they they get the best out of you they understand you as a player they understand what you give to the team they understand you as a as a player I think good managers that can get every player on the team to bind to the whole team goal by understanding each what their player needs is the best manager in, in a working for Mark Hughes, if that makes sense. Mark Hughes, he understood, 
you know, there were certain guys, big name players, sometimes too cocky, too confident, and he would put them down a little peg. I mean, this is Mark Hughes. He played for Bayern Munich, Manchester United, Barcelona. I mean, the guys played at the top clubs. You know, you imagine a player walking into the club thinking like he's the biggest, biggest baller on the team and he's your manager. Like He just looks at you. He's like, sit down, mate. You know, like you're, you're here. I'm here. And, but he also understood like when he needed to put your arm around you and build you up, give you that confidence. So you go on the pitch and you perform, but at the same time, making sure that everyone's working together as a team and you guys are all working as a unit. So yeah, I've been fortunate, you know, and then working with Steve McLaren last year, he was a guy that worked under Alex Ferguson for a number of years and to see how he was as a manager, very hands-on, a top, top guy, uh, one of the most genuine managers and, and coaches that I've ever met. And this is, this is a guy that's, that's done it. He's been with the best players, some of the best players in the world, one of the best teams ever. He was the assistant coach to it. And um, seeing what, hearing the stories that he was telling us and how he manages players and how he manages teams um, and how he tried to replicate that in, in places there, that he's gone. Um, but it takes time and there's a lot of things that come into it, but yeah, you know, it's, it, I think when you go through your path, you have your ups and downs and it's just a matter of taking things and your experiences with what one coach gives you. And then you go to a next, another team or another manager and what things um, don't work or a manager that, you know, whether it doesn't like you or you don't get on with or whatever, you have to deal with it in certain ways and, and still perform. You mentioned, of course, all these different folks who have shaped you as a player wanted to kind of highlight also for you the fact that it's been over 150 Premier League appearances. It's been a career where you are the only New Englander to play in the modern version of the Premier League. Do you ever take a moment and step back and realize that? Or is that something that, hey, I'm so caught up in this moment that it doesn't have that reflective element? Yeah, sometimes, you know, I've been told or whatever. It's usually when I'm like in a, in a low moment or, you know, I'm struggling or, you know, whatever. You know, look at, you know, like, or I'm just like, question like I had a bad game and I'm like man like whatever and you think you start to think you know I'm like you're here for a reason you're playing here you know like and that was the thing a player is always going to have those moments the up and downs and and I've always you know said to myself I have I don't want to be be content with what I've accomplished because I still have plenty more to offer at the end of the day after I retire and I'm done, I can look back and say, you know what? I've had a hell of a career. I can say that now. What other American has done what I've done? Not many. Like I said to you, people can question my ability. Um, they can question me as a player, whatever. They might hate me. They might love me, whatever. Fans are fans. People, will, they always, you know, they, they either love you or they hate you. Some, there's some people in between. But at the end of the day, if I've played for this many managers and I'm consistent and I play every single game that I'm fit and able to play, and I've had over 150 Premier League games against some of the best players in the world, then your opinion doesn't matter to me because I've done it, you know? And, and that's for me where, you know, a guy like Clint Dempsey, when I first came over here, he's like, you're going to have to, 
he's like, you're going to have to earn their respect. You're going to have to earn people's respect when you come over here because it's not just you you're representing. You're representing the U.S. You're representing you, where you come from, because the U.S. wasn't known as, oh, producing soccer players. And you're going to have that kind of aura around you and that like weight on your, on your shoulders a little bit because they're like, oh, you got to prove that Americans can play. And, you know, fortunate enough, I've had a, I've had a successful career over here and, and hopefully I give younger kids in the States and the ability to dream like I dreamed when I was a kid to, to play over in England, to play in the Premier League and that it's possible for anybody to come over here and play and be successful. If you are talking to a group of younger guys, what's that message that you try to convey to them most about your career? I know there's a lot of different ways that could go, but picture it's a group of 12-year-old kids in Southeastern Mass who, who grew up on the same streets that you did. Is there something that you try to convey to them? Yeah. It's, you know, more there, there's going to be sacrifices that you're going to have to make. I actually talked to – I was on the – a conference call the other day with a buddy of mine, uh, a Welsh guy, but I actually met him in, uh, in Providence. He was doing a coaching camp and um, he became good friend buddies. And we played with Kyle and we played in that Laza league men's league. And uh, he's coaching a bunch of kids in, in San Antonio. And I got on the phone with them and, you know, they were just asking for advice and stuff. And I said, listen, you guys are going to go through things in high school, college and, whatever and there's going to be times in your life where you're going to have to make sacrifices you're going to have to like give up going to your your buddy's house and go in the backyard and, and juggle a soccer ball or you're going to have to do the you're going to have to go for a run you're going to have to do all the things that that you need to do to reach your goal and if your goal is to make it to this level then these are the ways to get to your goal and fortunate enough that I had like I said I had good role models I had my father and that was pushing me but you got to have, I would say, the three Ds, the discipline, dedication, the desire. And those are, those are my three Ds of flight. I have them tattooed on me. And you got to have the dedication. you got to do whatever you can to get to that goal. And that's your regimen. It's doing the, you know, waking up in the morning, eating right, going to school, getting your schoolwork done, and then make sure you're training properly in that desire like that hunger that fuels you every single day, all the people that said you can't make it or, you know, you want to prove people wrong. Use that, use that to like make you go and have that desire and the discipline staying focused. Don't get distracted by the other things that are going to bring you away from your goal. I think those are, those are three important words that can help you be successful in anything, really, whether it's being a professional soccer player or graduating from college or you want to work on Wall Street or you want to be an astronaut. You got to make, you got to have the dedication, you got to have the discipline, you got to have the desire. I think that's a really great message to take home, like you said, into any walk of life, not just being a soccer player. And as we kind of near the end here, I want to toss a couple quick ones your way too. You're turning 35 this summer and you've alluded to wanting to play this game as long as you can. I would expect nothing less from a guy like yourself. How much do you feel is in the tank? How, how much is there that you feel you still have left to give? Man, you know, it's funny because uh, I've come in this whole week and uh, I felt really good, you know, felt fresh. I've worked hard this off season here that we've had. And the manager... Uh, 
gave me a call yesterday and, and told me how sharp I looked and how fit I looked. For me, you know, I want to, Ryan Giggs played till he was, what, 41, 42? <laughs> I want to play until I know it's the right time. I think I have, I'd say, minimum three to four years left that I think I can give it, but I I, I think I can do more, to be honest, um, if I'm managed properly and I, and I do all the right things off the field, which I do now. And that's like, you know, making sure I'm injury-free and, you know, just staying healthy, really. But, yeah, I also want to enjoy it. I don't want to be playing if I see, like, you know, I'm not running as fast as I was four years ago. No. But my brain is because I've experienced things. I've been in these situations and these types of uh, environments throughout my career. So my experience can do the, the thinking and make puts me in better positions and I don't need to run as much because I understand the game where when I was younger, I could run and do all the things cause I was quick and fast and, and whatnot. And it was funny because, you know, playing alongside guys that were a little bit older, they were like, you do the running for me. I'll do the backup. <laughs> and now it's kind of the rules are reverse where I'm doing like, Hey, you guys do the running. I'm going to sit here and protect the back four. And like, you know, I put myself in good positions and my job is to collect it, win it and give it to the guys that are creative. So yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to play as long as I can, but as long as I'm enjoying it. And if it's, if I'm waking up in the morning and I'm hurting and my body's just can't take it anymore, then you know what I'll say? I'm happy and I'm happy to walk away. And then, you know, some way I'll probably want to stay in football, but who knows, man. A long way out, and we hope that there's many years still to come <laughs> yeah. on that on, on that CV. And as you're coming up on a decade in England as well, have you ever given thought to coming back to the States at one point, whether that's locally or just MLS at large? I mean, that's a question that yeah. I think you might expect from folks back this way. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. You know, I think I think it's definitely in the it's definitely a possibility for sure. I do have another year left here in England. So I have next season for sure. And I, I want to finish the season strong. I'll have next season. And then I'm sure by middle of next season, depending on how I feel, it could be a decision if it's a, if it's a good opportunity for me to go back to the MLS, if there's a team that is interested and they offer me the right deal, then then I'll come back. Um, but if not, I know I have options over here. And my girlfriend and and I and, and my son, obviously, I have citizenship now. My son has citizenship. So we're cool. We can stay here. And um, and, and, I'm, and I enjoy life here as well. So it's it's really up in the air, to be honest. So but there it is a possibility because I've always wanted to go back to the States and finish in some warm weather. As you mentioned too, it's a personal decision as well. It's not just you, it's a family. It's a young family. Yeah. It's not just a, a, a young guy in his 20s who's wanted to do whatever he wants to as well. Like, you know, that's, that's the interesting thing. So when you're, when you're a young guy and you're in a relationship or whatever, you just you kind of make the decision that you don't really consult with anybody. It's, that's it. Like, you know, for throughout my career, the only thing that I've cared about is me. Like, I'm going to make the decision because that's what I've been working for. I'm not going to let anything distract me. And now it's, it's a little bit different because it's, you're making a decision based on, you know, your family, what's best for your family and your son. And yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. Cause you know, he's six months now and it's been pretty fun being actually being home and being able to spend a lot of time with them 
over the last couple of months and seeing him grow and develop his personality. And, you know, I want to see him be able to watch me play and be involved in the game in some capacity. So uh, whether that's in the States or over here, um, I think he, I think he's going to get a experience for both because he's not going to, he's not going to not grow up with football or soccer, you know, so <laughs> he's going to be exposed to it either way. But um, now it's, it definitely makes you think about a, a different, different perspective for sure. And as we kind of just put a bow on things too, for us being New England Soccer Journal, I wanted to ask when you are back this way, what are kind of some of those go-tos for the Cameron family? Where are you going? Are you, are there any go-to like local spots that you hit up? What's, oh, what's yeah. What? Yeah. Like when the you're first back. Thing, the first, first thing my dad asked me is like, what do you want to eat? And I'm like, I want lobster, seafood. I want clams, oysters, little necks, <laughs> you name it. It's seafood. That's it. Um, then I hit up in Providence and Thayer Street. I hit up Eastside Pockets. Used to go there um, all the time after high school. It's an awesome uh, spot. Yeah, that's, those, those guys best. are amazing. Yeah. And you know what? It's like, it's the same ownership. It's the same people there. I go back in and they remember me since I was a kid. And it's funny because obviously, you know, Marcos and, uh, you know, I used to babysit Marcos back in the day because him and his, you know, I grew up with his brother playing. His brother was a year ahead of me. He went to college and then his mom would travel. And then because I was going to PCD, I was able to, like, I would play in a men's game and like a Wednesday at 11 o'clock at night. So after the game, instead of driving home back to Attleboro, I'd just stay at over his house and I'd end up like babysitting him you know, that we'd go to school with PCD and then right after PCD, like I'd go straight to Eastside Pockets and, you know, I, that's still my spot. And then I'd say, was it Houston's right in Providence as well? Yeah. And then I just, you know, yeah, beach, Narragansett beach, the Coast Guard house, um, a lot of great memories. And then uh, what else? Then Bliss Ice Cream in Attleboro. So, you know, I used to go there as a kid and black raspberry ice cream. A lot of people don't, if you're not from New England, people don't really know about black raspberry ice cream for some it's, reason. It's the best. It's the best. It's, it's the best ice cream. So yeah, those are kind of like my go-to spots. And then obviously when in my off season, I'm, I'm usually training. So I give Gareth a call and I head down to URI. So if I'm going to head to the beach, I'll do a workout on the field before like early in the morning and then have the rest of the day on the beach to chill. So it's a lot, yeah, there's a lot worse things in life than chilling by a chair six or wherever on there against it. Could be worse. It's true. It's true. It's unfortunate. Obviously I won't be able to go home this off season and see the family and whatnot, but it was funny, you know, like seeing, you know, you face, you're FaceTiming with everybody and stuff like that. And, Sometimes like I'm really good process things and I just, I put it out of my mind and I don't let it bother me. I let it affect me. And, but I do have like moments where you're talking and like, I really wish I could be home right now. Like I just really want black raspberry ice cream or you just want, cause at this time, like maybe two weeks ago, I was thinking I was like, I would be in Greece right now. We'd be on a boat. I'd be like snorkeling and, you know, swimming in the ocean. And then our plan was to go home for a week to Boston and then plan to go a week to San Francisco and then a week to Miami to train, do some training down there and then fly back to London. 
you're like, ah, oh, I would be here right now if I was in a lockdown. I'm like, oh, I'd be here tomorrow. And like, ah, oh, it'd be like going Memorial Day weekend. Oh, we'd be doing this. We'd like go to Fogland Beach and like drive our cars or trucks on right on the beach, bring the dogs out and go fishing and go co-hogging. And like, so those are the things you miss. But other than that, it's, it is what it is and you just got to deal with it. And uh, what hurts you only makes you stronger, right? So you are a you are a Londoner, but you're still a a guy from New England at heart. Yeah, for sure, for sure. New England, England. Yeah, they have know. some affiliation, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> awesome, Jeff. Well, it's great to catch up and talk about your journey, local roots, time overseas. I think some of your valued perspectives on just navigating this world of professional football that a lot of people don't see back home. So a big thank you to you for coming on and. Hoping you get back out there with games soon. I know we're all dying to watch you play. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. As we close out our show, our Around the Pitch segment is brought to you by the Barca Residency Academy. Learn the unique Barca style of play, train in world-class facilities, and improve your technical and tactical skills while lodging at their premier sports campus. Up first is news on the coaching front. The Holy Cross women's program has a new coach in Kyle Bach, we caught up with him for a story at anysoccerjournal.com to discuss the Patriot League program's new direction as he leaves Providence College in the associate head coach role. Elsewhere, professional soccer is going to be back June 27th in the States with the NWSL's Challenge Cup coming to Utah. There's not a ton of local players, but keep an eye out for those like Alyssa Nair, Samantha Mewis, and Rachel Hill when games return. Lastly, we've been running in-depth 2021 and 2022 college recruiting coverage at anysoccerjournal.com. For watch lists, analysis, stories, and more, be sure to check those out online. And that's been Around the Pitch is brought to you by the Barca Academy. Secure your spot today by visiting barcaacademy.com camps and tell them New England Soccer Journal sent you. And that's a wrap. I want to give a big, big thank you to Jeff Cameron for coming on, plus all of our listeners for tuning in. Until next time, I'm your host, Jonathan Siegel, and you've been listening to New England Soccer Journal, a Siemens Media Podcast.